0: Welcome everyone to the FedSquare Anything But Square podcast. My name is Susanna Bishop. I'm the Chief Experience Officer of FedSquare. And here with me today is Vanessa Walker, who was FedSquare Program Manager, Arts and Events from 1999 to 2003. Vanessa, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background with us? Yes, sure.
1: Hi Susanna and thanks for having me here. My background is quite broad actually, covering architecture, urban planning and the arts, which has brought me to the placemaking work that I'm doing now. I studied architecture um, in Adelaide where I grew up and I didn't really know whether that's what I wanted to do, so I went travelling for a while and (laughs) worked overseas in London and travelled around Eastern Europe and, and wonderful cities, came back to home and then moved to Melbourne, um, which is a city I'd always loved for its creative and multicultural life. And I began postgraduate studies in urban policy because I was interested in the broader field of city making. And I worked in heritage and community planning for a while. I then worked for several years in the arts in one capacity or another, in film and in the visual arts and became quite involved in public art and in the late 90s i set up my own art and design practice curating and producing public art projects and that was what i was doing when i came to federation square which became for me quite a pivotal project in many ways and set me on the path to placemaking and the work that i do now
0: oh fantastic and it's such a um, an amazing opportunity for us to be able um, to go back into that beginning of fed square and and that journey that you had So before you joined FedSquare, what were your first impressions of the project and when you first heard of the vision for FedSquare, what what did you think at that time?
1: When I first heard of FedSquare, I was quite remote from it in a way. I was aware of the competition, uh, the design competition, and I had seen some of the competition entries. And when Lab Studio One the competition, I, I was very interested, I guess, in their design. It was certainly an unusual one with a quite distinctly different vision of the public square at the centre of things. And I, I guess I liked that initially. I, I probably, like many people, was somewhat baffled a bit by the other architectural kind of ideas around fractal geometries and so on and so I was very curious at the beginning around around what this might mean and and, um, very interested in and of course delighted when I had the opportunity to work closely with that very
0: um, diverse design team. At Lab Studios in the late 90s, it's such an iconic project, isn't it? How how do you even go about um, it, it creating or envisaging, planning that that programming? How did you even start on that on that role? My entry into the project was um, was
1: quite specific, actually. I had been working, as I said, in, in public art and collaborative design, and set up my own practice. and I was extremely fortunate to be invited to apply for the role of leading a public art um, commissioning program, which was set out to be quite experimental from the start. And when I when I got that role, I suppose I I had to both dive into the whole experiment that was Federation Square at the time and at the same time try and draw on my my basic skills of organising and and conceiving of a sort of framework for which artists could come and enter into this journey, which was still being designed, by the way. So I started off in that role of involving a number of artists from different backgrounds, including um, Paul Carter as as a poet and writer and thinker as well as um, John McCormack, a, a digital artist, and Chris Bell, um, a more sculptural artist, and, and many other artists who were involved in our temporary works in those early days. And, and so I broke into it that way, I suppose, through the eyes of an artist and a curator of that kind of um, other experience that ran alongside the design. And we, were, you know, we set up it, it up as more or less a research project for these artists, and one in which we were very much also exploring federation as a concept, because that was, of course, part of the intended identity of the square, and, and certainly one that we felt needed to perhaps be fleshed out a bit more in a local way to bring this this uh, federation square idea to you know into its local context.
0: You've mentioned a couple of the the initiatives that you've implemented. Is there anyone in particular that you feel most proud of or that uh, you look back and, and really enjoyed that time?
1: A lot of the art projects I really enjoyed and some of them, um, they, they were more fleeting, I guess, than, than the more permanent works in the end. One in particular was working um, with Joyce Hinterding and David Haynes on a project exploring the labyrinth while it was being built. There were video artists um, who were really producing some really interesting work around, I guess, the the underlying rhythms and and. Um, imaginings of the inner workings of the city and so they produced a really interesting video work out of exploring the tunnels of the labyrinth and I did enjoy working with artists on really temporary projects like the the hoardings and creating stories and images around the construction of the site. Um, Another really interesting project was the uh, lighting work that we installed on the half-built Federation Square during the 1999 turn of the century or turn of the millennium Celebrations, so they were kind of risky projects. They were really great fun to work on with a bunch of people who were really, you know, interested and in, in, and and I guess really also excited about having opportunities like this that were quite unusual at the time. So I'm pretty proud of, you know, enabling those opportunities, and also um, proud of realising some works that did exist, you know, that, that become manifest. Particularly, of course, the the, the work in the square by. Um, Paul Carter and, and Lab—that's that—the new work celebrating Federation. It was—it was an intricate and, and tricky work to, uh, to refine and, and, and deliver in the end, but you know, it's, it's an important part of the story.
0: Were there any particular challenges that, that really um, taught you a lot or that that you remember from that time? I think some of the challenges
1: actually came later because my role changed later. I, I, um, I moved out of Lab Studio and, and to a broader role when Federation Square Management was actually set up as the company to operate it. So that was a bit tricky, being on the one hand immersed with the design team and the creative team, and then flipping over to the client side at a time in which the government was changing. All sorts of things were changing in relation to the project. And so adapting to that that role, and then that role involved essentially engaging with the arts community in Melbourne to develop a program for the arts, initial inaugural arts and events program. So that kind of transition involved a bit of rethinking, you know, and engaging setting up you know a a kind of dialogue with many many different groups about what they thought might be possible with a view to trying to attract them to use the square you know in those early years Um, there are also some challenges around the changing uses of some of the public event spaces so what's now called deacon edge when i first started wasn't going to be an enclosed venue it was just an extended part of the atrium so um, I was then, you know, involved in kind of redeveloping a design for a venue um, and then it became a question of a venue for what? And so we had to, you know, figure out what was the sort of venue that Melbourne needed at that time what, that would be different from what already existed but provide, you know, um, opportunities for all sorts of people to use it. And so that kind of brief definition uh, occurred for Deakin Edge as it did also for the stage and screen, actually. So that. That they were challenges, you know, to take what had been given to us as a very broad brief, you know, it's now going to be used for this and then make that a reality, something people could actually use, would want to use with the flexibility to make it really available to all sorts of creative and, and other community uses.
0: That's fascinating to think of Dick and Edge um, uh, different to what it is today, as we see so many events taking place there. And uh, I suppose, you know, looking back to your background and your uh, areas of expertise, um, you work a lot with people-centred design. So, if you if you reflect back on um, those concepts at Fed Square, um, how do you think people-centred designs um, were applied at, at that time? Well, look. I think
1: if I'm honest, people-centred design has come a long way since then. So, uh, I think it's definitely more a well-known concept now. Back then, it was a lot more learning on the job, I suppose, and 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 less formalised. Um, I certainly did a lot of uh, individual, you know, engagement with different users by basically setting up meetings and talking with all sorts of organisations, different cultural groups, big and small arts organisations and community groups just asking them what they thought their possibilities were from their point of view. So it was a, you know, quite in-depth process but probably not as structured as I would do now uh, where we have refined or sort of developed different approaches to dealing with very broad um, user groups and, and community organizations. So I think yes, I'm more organized about it now, but the essential nature of going out and asking people what they think and particularly people who have quite specific uses, and taking that on board and trying to you know develop some common principles for design and programming is um, I guess it's evolved since then for me and uh, it's an important part of the design of these kinds of public places.
0: And Fed Square was always um, controversial, I suppose, from the beginning and, um, and and going into consultation with the public would, would certainly um, generate different points of view. Uh, was that a big thing at the time, how controversial the build was and, and divisive upon opening? How do you think the, the Fed Square team handled that at the time?
1: interesting thing about the early days transitioning from you know construction site to to an open public space was that when the hoardings were up and when the only experience people had of the square was an occasional news article and you know maybe a, a glimpse through a crack in the hoardings people of course didn't really necessarily understand what was on offer and yet we as a a, a you know, as the management company, as we got closer and closer to opening, and we were working through operations and planning events and things, I guess we were pretty confident, just quietly confident, that this, you know, was such a gift to the city, uh, this public space and these um, cultural organisations, that it, it wouldn't fail as a as a as a venue for people to come. And that might sound a little bit, you know, ridiculous now, but actually, we were confident that it would be okay and then when the hoardings did come down albeit in in stages we were you know actually proven right there it was immediately popular and I think it's really all centered around the public spaces being so um, accommodating uh, interesting and open to the best aspects of the city that you know just made it a success and before the hoardings came down it it was hard to just say that you know words don't ever convey what's really possible. So when people could stand there and experience it, suddenly perceptions shifted en masse and and people seemed to immediately embrace it.
0: So so do you think it was um, pretty immediately or do you think it, it, there was a group of people that taken a beat to warm up to, to the space? How, how long did that process take? I think my perception uh, is that
1: when people were able to experience it, that it was fairly immediate that the, the the change of view or the the tentativeness or the skepticism and the criticism of its graph you know its visual appearance, et cetera, et cetera, from drawings and so on, it just really disappeared that that became those criticisms were just outweighed by the fact that people found the experience was pleasant. And this is, you know, this is also something I find have found subsequently in experience design and place design you know place making is that really when people can be in a place and experience it uh and you know be involved in imagining it and creating it then there's you know you just take that journey it just makes such a difference um to move away from the specialist professional languages and you know all of the um, things you might say about a place and to actually experience it is um what changes people's points of view.
0: And And since that time and, and most recently as government undertook the review of Fed Square, it was very loud and clear that Fed Square became a much loved, um, destination and very close to Melbournians and visitors. So, uh, what you started then obviously continued to grow in a in a very positive um, direction. So that that's something that must um, um you must feel proud of looking back.
1: Well, I do, as I'm sure we all do. Um, and I think a lot of it though is testament to the fact that. The city, we needed a square. Um, We didn't know at the time that the competition was running and the place was being designed. Really, I think Milburnians just didn't really know what to do in a public square. We hadn't had one and we didn't have a culture of um, public squares. So, uh, I mean, I personally remember, of course, speaking to many, many people and talking about the sorts of things that could happen there and demonstrations and public talks and festivals, you know, in the square and, and even for quite, you know, worldly and well-travelled um, people would sort of look at me like I was slightly mad and, you know, and would just sort of smile and go, yes, well, we'll see. But actually, you know, again, it comes down to living it and, and having, as, as was mentioned many times in the Fed Square Campaign recently that you know it's now got many memorable events that have happened there organically and were unforeseen by us, but you know that we I guess had faith that you know a successful public square would would find a place in people's hearts and be something that would be used in times of significant, you know, cultural moments.
0: On Saturday the 22nd of August, the government announced the review outcomes for Fed Square and now we are starting a new era for the square. Now given all your experiences um, in placemaking, urban renewal, especially um, heritage interpretation with the recent Heritage listing of Fed Square. Uh, what do you think the the future should hold for Fed Square, and what would be some of your recommendations?
1: Yes, well, I think it is really wonderful news. The recent announcements around, um, well, firstly, you know, acknowledging the cultural significance of Federation Square as part of the heritage review. You know, I, I agree with those main points that were made. It was, um, it's. Good to see that articulated, you know, as a place of heritage value. But beyond that, the more recent announcements around um, Federation Square becoming, you know, a place that really is reaffirming its role as the civic and cultural heart of of Melbourne, um, with venues and destinations whose primary purpose is civic and cultural above commercial, is is so important to that was the original vision. And it's great to see that reasserted through this review, and to also see that the organization will be funded or the place will be, you know, um, become part of those other institutions that are within the creative industries portfolio that, therefore, you know, don't uh, recognize and valued and supported by government and other entities in that way. I think that frees up. Federation Square to really reach its full potential as a special cultural place with, of course, commercial uses supporting it and around it. Um, So that's an enormous relief uh, because I think it was really held back by um, particularly a recent era of having to fund itself more. And, of course, that really watered down its program and its identity quite a lot um, in in the last decade or so. So I think this recent change is just great news for Federation Square and all of you in your in your work?
0: Uh, we're certainly excited about that and and excited to have a bit of the pressure off so that we can focus on on reinforcing it as a meeting place, as a place for civic and cultural importance. Um, any ideas or, or recommendations, some hints for our programming team or how we can um, continue to grow that and, and, and um, add value to the community?
1: Well, I think not being close to your your program and your approach at the moment, but I think you know that it would be great to really celebrate First Nations connection to this place and role in society. The um, creative life of our First Nations people is, is um, rich and layered and deserves a, a place and a space in the heart of the city. And so, having more of that. Would be great and similarly more of, of other um, cultural events and activities in the square whether they be celebrating particular time of year or um, particular political or other important moments i think that civic and political role of the square is important in programming too, into making your facilities and assets available to respond to the needs of the city, if you like. We live in interesting times. Uh, What's happened since around the world since the opening of Federation Square has been quite significant with, you know, everything from terrorism to, you know, now COVID and, and other big social movements really affecting the way we think about public spaces, that it's really important now to play a a civic role in responding responsibly to that and letting community voice have a place and a space to be aired um, and to demonstrate, you know, important issues. I think that's an important avenue of your work and and definitely not but definitely a challenging one so I'd hope to see more of that and also more risk-taking in the creative program I suppose and particularly in relation to your very public venues out there in the square and on the screen to when you do a program to make sure it's really opening people's eyes and minds and hearts to um, some of the interesting creative work that's going on all around us and also leaving space for things to happen spontaneously as i said to not over program to let it be a place to sit and observe and people watch and take a break we we're knowing in this time of being locked indoors how important just being outside uh, near the water in the fresh air and um with the views is, is very important for peace of mind and a sense of social connection. So you've got a very important role there and it's just gonna be more and more important as we become a bigger city with more challenges. So I think it's
0: an exciting role. Oh, I, lo- I love everything that you're saying, and um, we do have a lot of passionate people working for Fed Square that um, that want to see a lot of that happening. But um, the, there's a lot of conversations with um, other bodies and and First Nation organisations to really um, increase participation and and programming. I, I couldn't agree more on the importance of that. I love that that third space um, comment. You know, being the meeting a meeting place. Place and a place um, for people to come and 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 enjoy the city with with a different um, uh, you know in a different environment is, is, is really important and I think you know we we talk um, about Fed Square being a barometer of the city so I suppose that really aligns with the responding to the needs of the city there's so much insights and I think there's a lot of work um, um, that we feel thrilled and and very privileged to be able to to be doing um, watch this space. Tell us a bit a bit more about you and what you're doing now and, um, and, and some of your current work and where, where people can find you. As well as
1: still working in my own placemaking practice, Big Space, I've also in recent years been working with other placemaking companies as well. Um, most recently in my role as Director of Projects for Village Well where I've been leading some in-depth placemaking strategies for a number of civic, cultural and educational projects in cities all over Australia and beyond. I've had the good fortune to work on a couple of projects, for example, in Geelong uh, very recently, in the civic heart of Old Geelong, which is undergoing a lot of renewal at the moment. been working on the new civic centre there and also on the latest redevelopment of the Art Centre, which is a very exciting project. Uh, It's one where we've been doing extensive engagement with the local community and other interest groups around what's possible in this new Art Centre and how to make it a truly welcoming place. And the ambitions and ideas that are coming through those conversations are really exciting and will make it much more than a traditional arts venue, that's for sure. I've also been working on a university project in the very heart of Darwin, which is a is an exciting um, venture for that city where there's going to be a combination of educational programs and civic programs right in the heart of the city as well. So that's been really exciting. And on both those projects, I've been working with traditional owners and other First Nations groups as well. And that's been um, very, enriching and been learning a lot from that
0: experience. Before I let you go, I'd love to to hear some of your insights into how um, how COVID-19 might, might change placemaking potentially forever and, and is there some positives about that that we can all learn and, and use?
1: I think that there's definitely positives in that we've certainly seen a swelling of appreciation of our public spaces of all different sorts. You just have to go down to your neighbourhood park to see it suddenly. Um, being used tenfold more than perhaps previously. So that renewed appreciation will bring with it, I think, a sense of care and ownership that people will want to see um, places well-kept and well-looked after and certainly not threatened um, by, you know, poor development. So that's a good thing is increased sort of community interest and, and ownership through this. Um, the challenges around physical separation are are very interesting to wonder where that will go i think you know we we just need to find creative ways of enabling people to be together socially uh, at perhaps a little bit more physical distance so that is going to require innovative and open-minded programming and and also i think you know these ideas will come from different communities so really asking them and looking at what is working now while we're in our homes will help sort of shape what we see in future. But I think um, that's keeping social connections and enabling perhaps smaller scale activity to occur is important. There's a whole lot of other issues around our main streets and public spaces, of course, that are more commercial and challenging. Um, But I think, you know, we can we are doing some work in that space as well I think from my point of view it's just that's reappreciating nature and and the importance of social spaces is going to really be a good thing for our public spaces overall I hope and we can find that we are reinvesting both money and love back into places, it will be a good thing.
0: I love that, reinvesting love. And I thank you so much for your time. I, I got so much out of the talk and I, um, I feel like I, I could be asking you questions for um, a long time. <laughs> thank you thank you so much for your time and, um, and for sharing all that terrific past and also uh, insights into the future.
1: Thank you so much, Susanna. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you.
0: New episodes of the Anything But Square podcast are released every Wednesday, and we encourage you to subscribe to the podcast and sign up to our newsletter at fedsquare.com. Take care, and we'll see you next Wednesday.